Hello, and welcome to part three of three and three. A lot of threes this episode, apparently. Where least favorite fourth chair, Neil, myself. Feels weird saying that. Also, when I type it out for myself, but I get it. As I am continuing on through the series of the Sword of Truth books by Terry Goodkind. And we are on book three, which is entitled Blood of the Fold. Now, first, quick little shout out here to Justin on Facebook. Hey, thanks for welcoming us back a little bit. Well, like you said, kind of, as we are slowly trying to get back into the swing of things as we go forward from here. But we appreciate the comments, at least, and a couple of those likes that all of you are saying out there. Hopefully, we'll be able to have something figured out once we get more towards after this January time and things hopefully again start to finally settle down a bit. But we've got to wait until we get there and see how things go. Now, today, I bring you Blood of the Fold from Terry Goodkind. And again, it's his third book of the series, and we already covered um, the Wizard's First Rule and Stone of Tears. And in this book, even though normally I've gone with the progress of three good and three bad things, here we kind of have a bonus one that I'm going to count as one of the bad type of things. So it's actually only, it's going to be kind of like three and four. But I'm making this up as I go along. So it's my rules and that's how we're going to deal with it. Since Bob, Uncle Clob, and Luke and Paul don't have a say in this. They'd probably get mad at me for changing an order of things. But I'm kind of over it. So anyway, starting our things off here. We're going to start with one of my favorite parts of Blood of the Fold. And that is bringing back up the character of Addie the Bone Lady. Now, in the first couple books, we meet Addie and she's this woman who's living close to the boundaries that are set up between the Westlands and the Midlands. And one of her very distinctive qualities that she has is that her voice. And every time a character comes to meet Addie, they discuss that her voice sounds almost like rocks being moved on other rocks. And it's just got this really gravelly tone for a woman. And it definitely makes it very distinct when she is doing something. And as this happens, we find out here during the Blood of the Fold that the reason why this is, is when she was a young woman living in where what we find out is called the Blood of the Fold, where they were, are based, is that she was a sorceress. And the Blood of the Fold, I kind of liken them, and I think this is kind of what Goodkind was going for, is I see them as being very similar to the idea of the Spanish Inquisition. Where And not the joking Spanish Inquisition that no one expects. No, the actual Spanish Inquisition where we have witches, we're trying to kill them as much as possible. And the Blood of the Fold, they are completely anti-magic, and their main goal is to stamp out magic in all of its forms. And to do this, at one point, they capture Addie and her husband at the time, Pell, and they start to torture them to try to get, try to get a confession out of them that Addie is a sorceress. And... The way that they do this is they end up torturing both of them. And the way that they torture Addie is they pour, I want to say it's a, almost a like molten metal down her throat to the point where it harms her vocal cords forever. And as they do this, they bring in Pell and say, well, she gave you up as being the one who could use magic. And Pell, his heart is breaking during this. And he says essentially that even though she sold me out, I would never do this to her do everything that you want to me. So they end up going forward and killing Pell and leaving Addie on almost a revenge tour for a little bit there. And she kind of does so during that flashback moment 
but otherwise she lives and tries to get more in contact with the underworld to try to let Pell know that that's not what happened. And towards, I want to say it's either this one or the next one, when Richard actually journeys to the world between spirits and that sort of thing, might have been the last one, he actually is able to tell Addie that, yes, Pell knows that it was a lie, and she is, he doesn't hold it against her, and she's able to have a much happier moment about this. And I like this backstory for Addie, as it establishes why she kind of left all civilization of things, because she was so worried about another group like the Blood of the Fold coming back and going after her. Now, on that same note of things now, the Blood of the Fold, now I'm going back to one of my dislikes here. I get that there's always going to be spots where there's someone who's against what is seen as good. Now, in this case, you've got the Blood of the Fold, and they think all magic is bad. But with what we find out later in one of the other books, every part of this world... Okay, sorry, I have to take that back, because people who have, re who have read all the way to the series know that I'm going to be wrong with the statement. At this point, almost every single thing in the world of... Uh, Wizard's First Rule and the Sword of Truth series is touched in some way, shape, or form by magic, except for things that'll come into play when we get to around Book 7. Now, if magic didn't exist and they tried to eliminate it entirely, that means no one would be around, which would also include that they wouldn't be around. So it seems very similar to the fact that, like on how Dark and Raw in the first book, you want to rule over a kingdom of nothing. And then once you die, that's it. There's nothing there. And that really kind of bothers me that the end goal of the Blood of the Fold is to get rid of all magic. Admittedly, they don't know a lot of that fact about how magic is in everything, but I don't like the idea that that is their main goal, only going for that one specific purpose. Especially when we later find out here that a new group is brewing known as, known as the Imperial Order, and they have a lot of the same ideals where their main goal is that they don't want magic in this world. And the setup here of it just seeming constantly to me at this point of every villain in this has the same goal. They want to rule the world, but they don't want anything that could threaten their rule. But if they don't have that there, then the rest of the world won't really exist and everything will die out. Really makes me a little annoyed that there wasn't more um, variety in the villainscape of different things here. Now, Back to one of the good side of things during this is when Richard, at the end of book two, he is now back kind of in the Daharan lands and the Midlands, and he ends up, they end up finding out that he is the new Lord Rawl by blood. So a lot of his protectors, which end up becoming the Mord Sith and his uh, two bodyguards, they find him and they start talking about how they want to make him in charge and they have to find this way to prove to the rest of the Daharans that he is supposed to be the magic against magic while they are the steel against steel. And I really just like his companions that he has here with the Mord Sith of the four or five of them at this point in time. And I'm just paraphrasing here because I don't want to remember and look back at the specific members at the time. Um, he has the Mord Sith, he has the two bodyguards, and he has a Gar, which is basically this giant almost almost dragonish type beast but a lot smaller and they start going through this town together making way for lord Rawl as richard is hiding under you know, basically an invisibility cloak that's held by the wristwith and he ends up ends up start telling them that i am the lord Rawl, and 
the leader of the Daharan general basically at the time goes, nah, you're not. You're I've seen this trick many, many times. You're not it. And Richard has to prove himself, and he ends up fighting off all these invisible Mistreth creatures. And that's finally what leads the general to believe, okay, you are the magic against magic. We'll be the steel against steel with you. But now going back to his companions. I like how he has, it's not just one set group of companions. He has four women who are his companions and two male bodyguards and his giant lizard for a little bit. And I say a little bit because he leaves at the end of the book. And the Mord Sith are probably one of the, they definitely go into more comic relief elements at times, but they're also the terrifying elements at times because of the different things that they can do. And during this also with two of the characters, Veridine and Reyna, we find out that they are in a lesbian relationship with each other. And one of them thinks that because, and I think it's Baradine at the time, she thinks that because of this, Richard is going to mock her and be against everything that she stands for and use it to punish her. But he brings up, I want to say it's carrots or broccoli or something like that, and goes, well, do you like broccoli? And I'll use broccoli as my example. Do you like broccoli? She goes, no. Well, I do, but that doesn't make us any less of friends. And she can't believe that Richard puts it as something this simple. And Really, that's kind of how he looks at things is, okay, if it doesn't affect me and it's still on your life, it shouldn't bother me. It is your choice to make on the things that you choose to like. And that kind of brings it back to the fact that Richard lets wants everyone else to be happy with who they are. And that's kind of a nice moment, to, even with how um, a lot of people look at a lot of the things that um, Terry brings up during these books is very focused on Ayn Rand and her Fountainhead, and it gets very prevalent in apparently book six. But even that, he still has some beliefs that, or shows some beliefs in the books that aren't totally focused on more of that conservative side of things, but some that are more towards a liberal side of things. And that's really kind of what Richard's character is, where as long as people are doing what they need to for themselves, that is how he likes them to survive. Now, similar ideas. Now, these next two negative ones, they kind of go together here. When book two ended, I, never, I didn't bring it up because it wasn't as big of a point to me. The Sisters of Light, one of the prelates, Anna, she had been killed. And she had it set up so that Verna, the Sister of Light who had previously captured Richard and Bride of the Island, that she would take over as prelate of the Sisters of Light. And uh, prelate Anne gave a mission to Verna that she had to try to seek out the Sisters of Dark and root them out of the palace. Now in this book... Okay, you know that there's going to be people that are bad. But Verna didn't really do anything about this. I mean, she talked to Warren. And again, Warren, still one of my favorite characters, and he will later grow to be more so. But Verna basically does very little to try to get it out. They know for a fact that there were six Sisters of Dark that had done training and how they trained Richard to become more of a war wizard. But... Instead of making the announcements, setting up guard patrols, setting up things to make it sure that they could never come back into the Palace of Prophets and that sort of thing, they didn't do any of this. Verna did nothing, really, to help out with this fact that they need this help to stop this sort of thing. I feel like, despite how they show Verna as this woman who's now more mature because she's aged when she was outside the Palace of Prophets, she was still, again, very naive and didn't do enough of the things to help out and stop this from happening. Because then the next negative thing, the Sisters of Dark have now returned. What they're trying to do is, after they escaped, they were captured by Jiang, who is the Emperor of the Imperial Order. 
and he is a dreamwalker and has now invaded their dreams to the point where he can basically control them at any time he wants. And he wants to use them so that he can recover the Palace of Prophets so he can live forever, essentially. Now, as this happens, um, there is a way to make it so that people can keep the Dreamwalker out of their minds. And that is by swearing an oath to Lord Rall, because that is the magic that uh, Richard's ancestors had created at the time to protect his people. And the Sisters of Dark, they have this plan that they are going to swear an oath to Richard, pledging loyalty to him. But even despite this, they're going to work against him to try to bring out the Keeper of the Underworld to this world. So if that sounds strange to you, it sounded very, very strange and stupid to me when I first read it too. So wait, you're going to pledge loyal to me, not actively do things against me, but you're going to do something that wants to end what I want to do. Yes, as long as we do that, that's what we'll do, and it'll work. We've thought it out very well. If you are like me, you thought this was a terrible idea. And at this point, I thought this was going to be what it was. Nothing more would come of it because it looks like it works in the book. And the Dreamwalkers out of their mind, they're able to uh, do things that they want to without having to worry about him forcing them to do things instead. And the books continue. Later on, I'm so glad, though, that even with this, Terry Goodkind, he did end up coming up with a way to actually pay this off later down the line because someone else thought this was a pretty stupid plan and took advantage of it. And I won't talk about that until we get to that actual book at the time. But I'm still kind of as a negative because for people who are supposed to be so smart in these Sisters of Dark, they really kind of did something really stupid as part of their plan. Now, the last one of the good side of things comes from a bit of a combo of different things. At the end of the book, um, Richard and, and I apologize for saying um and so, so many times, but I'm working on it here. Anyway, Richard ends up going back after they kind of stop the Sisters of Dark. They stop and destroy the Palace of Prophets and that sort of thing. They head back to where the Daharan forces are being attacked by the Blood of the Fold. Now, instead of just the Blood of the Fold, they are also also now being attacked by Misrith, who are invisible, and only Richard, at the moment, is able to figure out where they are because of his Warwizard's abilities. Now, as he's going along through all this, he ends up fighting off just the invisible Misrith so that his men can be the steel against steel while he's the magic against the magic. And as they're doing all this, one of Richard's companions from book two, Stone of Tears, who he actually kind of uh, kept alive for a long time, is this Gar named Gratch. Now, Gratch, Gars are generally killed on sight and all that sort of thing, but Gratch has become a friend to Richard because he saved him after he killed his mom. And as the mom tried to attack Richard, Richard kept this little infant um, child Gar alive, didn't do anything to destroy him, even though he was told to do it many times, but he didn't. And anyway, he Gratch and all these Gars and a whole bunch of Gars. He basically brings a colony of them. The Gars are able to see the Misrith because they were imbued back during the olden days of the war with the ability to spot them. So now Richard is tying back into the Wizards of Old and able to help use the things that they have brought back as protection. And this is what Richard is doing. And part of that is from the journal that they discover 
that is from the Journal of Colo. And I really like throughout the rest of the books here as they bring up Colo and all the different things because they have this window into the past. And I know that um, Goodkind kind of went back to this a little bit when he went to... Uh, why can't I think of it all of a sudden? When they went back to the First Confessor and showed what the Wizards of Old were like compared to now. And it's interesting seeing how that Old War type of things happened compared to what where you have maybe three-ish wizards who are actually full strength, a couple of sorceresses, and that sort of thing. So it's nice blending both parts of his world into one. And now, the bonus negative thing, because that was three positive and three negative. The bonus negative thing is my cover to Blood of the Fold. Now, if you have paid attention to us on the podcast long enough, you know that sometimes we get very art snobbish. I've done the same thing. But on the cover of Blood of the Fold that I have, it looks almost like photo they someone photoshopped pictures of things and stuck those picture, actual real-life pictures onto each other. Now, what this makes me, why it's kind of a negative for me, is that I'm so used to, when I first started reading the books, was so used to Keith Parkinson's art. Throughout most of the books, up until Keith Parkinson's untimely passing, he was the cover artist for all of these different ones. And like I said on one of our previous Facebook posts, I have Keith Parkinson uh, oversized cards, his artwork, some metal minifigures, a nice poster print or a print of book six cover here, Faith of the Fallen. And I really enjoyed his art. And then seeing the changeover now to the cover that I have for Blood of the Fold, where it's I don't even know who the one person on the cover is, where it's this red-headed character in a pink dress. I don't even think that fits anyone in the book. And that's part of my issue, is how cover art can really change your opinions on different novels and what they are seeing. And now, Goodkind is, kind, like I said at another point in time during one of our podcasts, he is not the best person when it came to cover artists. So I'm wondering if at this point it was still more publisher type of control compared to different control when Keith Parkinson jumped on board. So like I said, that was a bonus negative. This episode, we did not talk about the wizard's rule, but in the next one, we probably will do so when we get to Temple of the Winds book four. And there are quite a few things that we'll discuss during that time. Maybe we'll get it up to that half hour mark of an episode, but we'll have to wait and see. If you have any comments or that sort of thing, please let us know on Facebook or contact us as best you can. And thank you. Hope that you all have a good day wherever you are.